the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For all the kids up through the 12th grade, please come forward. How's everyone this morning? I see that. That's a what's his name? Jet. Oh, I like that. Look at my little baby. This is a brand new little baby. Kind of ugly baby. It looks like a bear, doesn't it? But it's brand new. Yesterday, this baby was born. I haven't done anything yet. Do you think I need to do anything to help this baby? Just leave it, but the baby will die. No, it's a toy. Huh? No, no, this is a real baby. What would, what, if this, okay, if this were a real baby, what would I need to do? You need to give it water. It. Give it water? Yeah, you take it out. Um, take it out? Yeah. Like on a date? No, take it, take it out to feed the fresh air. Oh, for fresh air. So feed it water and take it out for fresh air. <laughs> oh, and have a, and make, make sure we feed the baby, right? And what do you do after you feed the baby? Burp the baby. That's good, because I gave the baby a big old hamburger this morning. I bet the baby needs to be burped. Yeah? yeah? So this baby was just born. And so mom and dad, they really have to take care of their babies, don't they? Because if they don't take care of their babies, what happens? They die. They get sick and die. That's right. And so uh, through love, through love, mom and dad hopefully take care of the baby as best they can, right? Right? Your mom, your mom and dad take care of you? Do they? Yeah, I knew they did. So Jesus is talking about something about being born again. How do you be born again? You were already born just not too many years ago. You want to be born again? You do? Do you know what that means? Yes. You do? I'll tell you what it means. What do you think it means? Um, it means that once you aren't going to just be born again, but you're going to be um, born in God's kingdom. Born in God's kingdom. That's a wonderful way to say it. Perfect. Would you all agree? to be born in God's kingdom. And I'm going to talk about that up here in just a minute. But God doesn't want us just to be okay and happy with the way we've been born. We learned yesterday in our family retreat, and you did in your class back there too, that something went wrong, that we disobeyed God, and we, and we are not what God intended us to be because we disobeyed him. But God wants us to be born again so that we can be obedient to him, so that we can love him the way he wants us to love him, so that we can walk in his kingdom, just like you said. And unless we're born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot walk in God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is telling the world, not just one person. He's telling all of us that. And so just as we take care of a little baby... 
and feed it and spank it and do all the things that we do have to do with babies, God takes care of us when we are born again, when we are born anew. God takes care of us. And we, just like a baby, just like you trust your mommy to feed you, to take care of you, we have to trust God that way, to take care of us, to lead us in the right direction. We have to lean on God and trust him to take care of us because that's who God is. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to leave him. He wants us to stay with him. Will you stay with God? Your nose? <laughs> I'm going to understand you one of these days, I promise you, okay? All right, thank you for coming up. Think about what we're talking about. And if you want to get a packet from Mr. Shane over there, get a packet and you can color. Thank you, Connor. Good job. Will you pick up that star for me? Thank you. So I have been hesitant, as I mentioned last week, about doing my normal routine of joke telling in the season of Lent, just because it is a penitential season. But this is a little Easter on Sunday. Every Sunday is a little Easter. And so I feel okay telling you a little bit of humor. And I know that some of you would say that all of my humor is little. So here we go. There's a Jewish father who was troubled by the way his son turned out. And so he goes to see his rabbi. And he says, Rabbi, I brought him up in the faith. I gave him a very expensive bar mitzvah. It cost me a fortune to educate him. And then he tells me last week he has decided to become a Christian. Rabbi, where did I go wrong? And the rabbi says, funny, you should come to me. Like you, I too brought my son up in the faith, put him through university, cost me a fortune. And then one day he too tells me he has decided to become a Christian. And the father asked the rabbi, what did you do? And the rabbi said, I turned to God for help, for the answer. And the father asked, and what did he say to you? And the rabbi said, well, God said, funny, you should come to me. Think about it. You got it. Okay, so what if God had a voicemail? I think he would say something like this. It would say something like this. Thank you for calling heaven. I am sorry all of our angels and saints are busy helping other sinners right now. However, your prayer is important to us, and we will answer it in the order it was received. Please stay on the line. If you would like to speak to the Father, press 1. To the Son, press 2. To the Spirit, press 3. If you would like to hear King David sing a psalm while you are holding, press 4. To find a loved one who has been assigned to heaven, press 5. And then enter his or her social security number, followed by a pound sign. If you get a negative response, please hang up and try area code 666. For reservations in heaven, please enter J-O-H-N 316. For answers to nagging questions about dinosaurs, the age of Earth, life on other planets, or where Noah's Ark is, please wait until you arrive. And if you are calling after hours and need emergency assistance, 
please contact your local pastor. That might be what it says. What I want to do this morning is to speak about one of the most familiar and remarkable passages in the whole Old and New Testament. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now I would argue that most of us have never actually put this verse, verse into a biblical context. And that's not saying that it would change the amazing truth of this verse, but that, would, that it would add an even greater impact by knowing the why and the to whom Jesus is speaking. And so let's do a little Bible study this morning. You can either turn in your ESV Bibles to um, the Gospel reading, John chapter 3, or you can look in your inserted pew sheets. It all began close to the book of, to the beginning of John's gospel. We're in John's, John's gospel chapter three. We've gone through one and two. When this man Nicodemus comes to Jesus and it's nighttime. So first let's try to understand who this Nicodemus is. Our lesson tells us that he was a Pharisee and that he was a leader of the Jews which means that he was probably also a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the council. The same council, by the way, who would be very instrumental in the crucifixion of Jesus later on. Now, we know Nicodemus was an important man simply because John's gospel mentions him by name, which is highly unusual for John's gospel. We don't know the name of the woman at the well in chapter 4. We don't know the name of the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5. We don't know the name of the man born blind in chapter 9. Or maybe Nicodemus is named because he reappears in the gospel at a later time, trying to get a fair hearing for Jesus in the council in chapter 7. And again later, by bringing a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes for Jesus' burial in chapter 19. So Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And by the way, in John's gospel, the word signs is really another word for miracles which are meant to bear witness to Jesus Christ as the son of God in John's gospel. No one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And so far in the gospel, in those first two chapters, Jesus has done one miracle. He turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And guess what? Jesus doesn't even respond to Nicodemus' reference to the signs. But instead, and here it is, instead Jesus begins to teach Nicodemus about the entrance requirements into the kingdom of God, which are going to lead up to what Jesus says in John 3, 16 and 17. Remember, it's all about biblical context. While Nicodemus didn't seem to get it immediately, Jesus' words and ministry seem to have had a profound, a profound effect on him as time grew. 
as again we'll see in chapters 9 and 17, uh, 7 and 19. Jesus answers Nicodemus in verse 3. He says, very truly, in our translation. And by the way, that word very truly is a Hebrew word. It's the same word we know as amen. It means these words that we hear are trustworthy. And it, as a response, it means, you know, so be it. I agree with that. Jesus uses this word quite often to emphasize the truth of something he's about to say. Amen. Amen. I tell you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is genethe, that's the Greek word, unless one is born. And it's interesting that in the Greek, genethe is the word used for fathering a child. There's a whole other Greek word for giving birth. Jesus is saying that we need to be sired a second time. We have an earthly father, but we need a new father. We need a heavenly father. We need to be born once again, except this time it needs to be done by our heavenly father. God's initiative, it's not our initiative. We are born through the power of of God. But Nicodemus, he doesn't pick up on that yet. He doesn't get what Jesus is saying. Jesus is trying to teach Nicodemus about salvation, about what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God, but Nicodemus is a slow, slow learner. Now before we move on, I want you to notice another Greek word, anothen. Unless one is born anothen. This word carries a double meaning. It means anew, but it also means from above. Unless one is born anew, unless one is born from above. Most of us have heard it translated, unless one is born again. And so there's this ambiguity which I think enriches this verse. Do we need to be born anew or do we need to be born from above? And the answer is yes to both questions. So here's Nicodemus, this great leader of the Jewish people, who finds it especially difficult to imagine that a Pharisee of all people would need to be born again from above. From his perspective, what he, what he learned growing up in the Jerusalem ISD, what he learned at Pharisee University, is that God's plan of salvation revolves around the Jewish law that every good Jewish person was expected to keep every single jot and tittle of every Jewish law, all 613 of them. That's what made a person righteous. That's what gets you into heaven. And the Pharisees, they excelled at that. I mean, surely Nicodemus's entry into the kingdom of God is assured, isn't it? But Jesus said that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he or she is born anothen, born again, born anew, born from above. You see, this robs Nicodemus of the initiative, and it places the initiative in God's hands. No matter how carefully Nicodemus obeys the law, something more is required, his rebirth which happens only through the power of God's Holy Spirit. 
So for someone like Nicodemus, who has done so well in his adherence to the law, who has achieved such religious stature in the community, this concept would be very difficult for him. And then Jesus says in verse 5, still teaching Nicodemus this great truth, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And this reference to water and the Spirit is taken, taking its roots from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promises to sprinkle the people with water to make them clean, and then to put a new spirit, a God's spirit, into them from the Old Testament before we even get to the Gospel of John. And of course, we know as Christians that water and the spirit, they have very strong baptismal overtones. In baptism, we die and we are resurrected. We are born again. We are born from above. And at baptism, we receive the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now, the Greek word for flesh here is sarx, S-A-R-X. Sarx is an ugly-sounding word that depicts an often ugly reality. There is focus on bodily indulgence rather than on serving God. In the New Testament, sarx is used most often as a contrast with that which is spiritual. For example, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh, adultery, sexual immorality, uncleanness, with the works of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And then Jesus talks to Nicodemus about the wind and the Spirit. Both words come from the same Greek word, pneuma. And Jesus uses the wind as an analogy for the Spirit of God. We cannot see, we cannot control, we cannot fully understand the wind, but we can see how it bends the branches of a tree. You know, I remember growing up in northeast Texas in the summer before air conditioning was common in most homes. And we had one of those water coolers which made the house smell like a damp cloth, D-A-M-P, damp cloth. In the evening, everyone would gather on the front porch. We would rock and we would talk and we would play and laugh in a futile attempt to escape the ever-present humility and heat. And sometimes on a really good day, the leaves of the tree, they would begin to rustle and the conversation would kind of quiet down and everyone would just kind of sit back and enjoy the summer breeze, the gift of this breeze. We didn't know where it came from. We didn't know where it was going. But we knew it was there and we could feel it. We could just feel it and it felt good. And so it is with God's spirit, invisible and mysterious and beyond our control, but discernible by its effects. Nicodemus answered him, and I'm sure Nicodemus was totally befuddled, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? 
and yet don't understand these things? You know, when Nicodemus, he came to Jesus, he acknowledged Jesus as a teacher, giving the sense that Jesus is a teacher among teachers. And now Jesus addresses Nicodemus as the teacher, with the sense that Nicodemus is a great teacher. Jesus asks how it is that the great teacher of Israel, Dr. Nicodemus, cannot understand. And then Jesus makes it very clear in verse 13 that he, Jesus, speaks with authority about heavenly things. That Jesus himself speaks with authority. John's gospel is very clear about this authority theme. Beginning in chapter 1 of John's gospel, Jesus was with God. Jesus was God in the very beginning. Jesus was present at creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. Jesus came into the world and became flesh, all in chapter 1. No one has seen God except Jesus. And listen to this translation, the ESV translation, still in chapter 1. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And then in verse 13 in today's reading, we have Jesus saying, no one, who ha- no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended out of heaven, the Son of Man. Okay, so far, Jesus has taught Nicodemus about being born anew, being born from above, from our heavenly Father. That this new birth comes from God's initiative, that it only comes from God. That keeping the Jewish law, though it may be good, is not what will bring you salvation. That there is a difference between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. That God's spirit is invisible and mysterious and beyond our control, but discernible by its effects. That Jesus himself has descended from heaven. And Nicodemus responds, but how can these things be? Poor Nicodemus. What can Jesus do to help Nicodemus understand that he's got it all wrong? And then here's what happened. Jesus hits it home. He gives Nicodemus his final lesson. Nicodemus, he says, God loves the world so much that he gave his only son. He gave me, Jesus is saying, that whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, Jesus says, God did not send me into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through me. I mean, he didn't use that pronoun, but that's what Jesus was saying. The whole world Not just the people of Israel, the whole world. The Greek word is cosmos. The cosmos world is the world that is opposed to God. How could God love such a world enough to give his own son to the death of the cross? But he does. And what an amazing statement this is in this gospel. God so loved the world that he gave me, Jesus says. That whoever believes in me will not perish, but will live forever. And so we have a choice. 
We have an opportunity given to us by God. In fact, the whole world, the whole cosmos has this very same opportunity. Do we pay more attention to the flesh than to the spirit? Or do we believe in the one who loves us beyond measure? Who gives himself to us even to the point of death on the cross? That we might live with him beginning now and going all the way through eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.